and we will be coming out of the 61st chapter. Book of Isaiah, chapter 61. As returning to that, I'll give a brief exposition on Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was a man that was called by God, and he was given a prophetic anointing, which means that God would speak to him, and he would show him specific things, mainly from the future or things that were to come. And he called Isaiah to relay this message to his people, that they may receive information and know the direction that God was trying to lead them in. So as we um, join in in this verse, just think about the fact that God called him to speak a relevant message to his people. These are words that God wanted his people to hear. Um, and it's called an advent of the Messiah, an advent of Christ, because um, a grammatical term to describe a lot of what Isaiah is, is shadows and types, which means that Isaiah often foreshadowed the coming of Christ, the coming of this Messiah that was to be here. So that's what we need to be mindful of as we read it. Um, I will be reading out of the standard King James Version. And um, if you follow along, it reads as such, in beginning in verse 1. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build up the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame you shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. You may be seated. To title today's message, I would say, um, pressing towards your expected end. Pressing towards your expected end. I think a lot of us in the church are trying to move towards something, but we're not exactly sure what it is, and we're not sure what to expect. Therefore, we can never really expect to get there. So we want to discuss pressing towards and expected in, but if I had to subtitle it, I would have to say, get out of your own way. 
get out of your own way. Heavenly Father, right now I come and I ask that right now you would just um, allow me to hide behind you. Um, even in this bright white suit, allow me to hide behind you that they don't see or hear from me, but that they can see and hear you, God. Um, if your presence be in this place, then I believe that something powerful can and will happen. So I ask that you speak a relevant word to your people and allow us to hear from you the thing that you have got to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Really quickly, um, I want to spend about two minutes and talk about our pastor, um, Tracy Evenis. Um, members, you've probably heard this, especially around his anniversary. I know Reverend Robert Smith has said it, Reverend Cecil Farrell have said it, many other people have said it. Um, great things about him. And one thing that um, stuck out in particular was that he's like the best kept secret here in Cincinnati. Um, we have a pastor that's really humble that um, he, he's not flashy. He simply every Sunday preaches an unadulterated word of God. Um, anytime you have a man that is really sweating out three layers of clothes between his shirt and his vest and his um, suit jacket and his robe, really trying to get a message across to his church, really trying to, to proclaim something, and he never really pushes his own agenda. He, he never really tries to follow someone else's style. He never tries to mock you know, someone else's way of doing things. He simply preaches, and he preaches a word that is for us to take. Um, I think having been here a while, if, if you've been coming and there's not really been a change or you've been coming and you've not been receiving the word of God, I would go as far as to say it's not because it hasn't been preached, That's right. but maybe because you have not received. Um, I said that to say that I, I try not to be critical of other people's preaching um, since I've been in the ministry, um, because what it should be is all of us speaking the same message from the same God, just through different people. However, what I really like about our pastor versus some of the other things that I've seen, again, is that he really doesn't focus too much on style, Lord, too much on tuning up and too much on ah, and trying to get you in all of the technique of it, but it really is the food that God has given him and that he's seeking to feed his people. And I would be remiss not to say that for those of you that, you know, we, you know, we birth a lot of ministers, those of you that are coming saying that you are called to preach and for the ministers where we already have, I would caution us to remember that we ought not focus on that because some people can tune, tune, tune in and you can preach like this. But if your words carry no power and if your words do not have the anointing in it, then lives will not be set free. Your preaching has got to be effective. God calls people to his ministry so that we can speak a word to the people that they can take and apply within their own life and use something. But possibly church, possibly people have gotten caught up on styles. People have gotten caught up on missing the anointing because isn't that what you want? I mean, after all, don't we come into the church to entertain ourselves? I mean, we, we've gotten so progressive. We've got awesome musicians, and we've got fantastic dancers, and we've got, we've got singers that, that can blow your mind. And, and aren't we here entertaining ourselves? And, you know, some of us, and I you get caught up in it too, you know, we won't come to church if we're not sure who's preaching and which choir is singing and what's going on. I mean, isn't it really about us? 
Terry, when, when, you, when you come, Arlenetta, is it, are you thinking at home, what song can I sing that's really going to get them going? Or what song can I sing that you know, I can hit that note and they go, ooh, that's nice. Is that the thought process? No? Maybe. <laughs> uh, that's fine. We're, we're going to work on it. I think we as a church as a whole have forgotten that we come into this place to entertain God. The purpose of our coming into the house is not so people can hear how good you sing, how good you play, how good you dress, how good you play those drums, how good you dance. It is about entertaining God. And out of that do I give my best. Out of that do I really work those keys to give him glory. Out of that do I really push myself to dance the best of my ability to give him glory. But it's not for you. Preaching is not a demonstration for you to look at and say, ooh, that boy can talk. If at the end of the message you have not gotten anything that can really change your life, then it's not effective. Ladies and gentlemen, what the word effective means is that it works. And my heart is saddened sometimes because I think we've been coming into this house and we come every Sunday and some people have been coming for 16, 18, 25, 30, 50 years into this place and you still walk out of that door with the same mess that you came in the first time you walked in. Something isn't connecting and something is not effective. Maybe if we change our worship service. Maybe if we change the focus from entertaining ourselves and really entertaining God, then we'll change and, and chains start to be broken and, and prisons start to be released and broken hearts start to be mended. Why do I say that? Look at the text. Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's acknowledging, I know this has to be the spirit of God. I know he has to be in this place, and this is why. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Ladies and gentlemen, if we would come into this house with the expectation to see God, if we would come into this house and say, Lord, I'm not leaving unless you show up, and I'm going to praise you until you make your way known, and then instead of just giving him an awesome praise service, I think sometimes we get the praise part down, but we get afraid to enter into worship. It ought to be known that there is a true difference between praise and worship. What God says is, if you would praise me, and we are commissioned to praise him, he has promised us that he would come in and dwell in the midst of our praise. But some of us don't know what to do when he gets here. You didn't catch that. Sometimes we give him an awesome praise in our songs. And we give him an awesome praise in our testimonies. And God says, I smell an aroma of praise coming from 4809 Ravina Street. And I think I'm going to stop by because they're asking for me to come. But when he walks in, we step back. He walks in ready to release you from that stronghold. He walks in ready to set you free. He walks in ready to take you to another level. And you hold on to the mess because you don't want to give it to him. Have you ever thought of how awesome it would be if we really invoked the spirit of God and let him have his way when he got here? I think that sometimes we ought to get off program. 
I think sometimes it might say that this is supposed to be a quiet moment, but people just wouldn't stop shutting up because God is here and we have to give him praise. I think sometimes somebody ought to come up here and bypass the chair and just lay on the altar and say, I'm not moving. Don't touch me. I don't need an usher. I don't need you to fan me. I don't want to move until God does something in my life. If he is not here, I don't want to be here. I like you, but I don't like you that much. We ain't got to spend four hours together on Sunday. I came in here to worship with you. I came in here to lift up his name because he said where two or three are gathered together, there will I be. You look nice and you sing well and you dance well, but if I don't meet him, This message, this message is for those who are tired. This message is for those who wonder, why do I keep coming to church? Have you ever thought about why you do something? Sometimes we do things just out of tradition, and sometimes we do things just because, you know, we, we thought we were supposed to. Some of us, you, you've gotten saved, but I have to tell you that your salvation, it has got to be more than you're coming up here and repeating words that somebody says. I would even go as far to say your salvation has got to be more than you simply being moved by the story of the cross. And because you felt something in some service 30 years ago that made you cry. Now it's like, okay, that's the end all of my salvation. My salvation starts at the cross and it ends at the cross, but there's a journey in between. Christ did not say, let me tell you about Calvary and let me walk you to Calvary and then you stand there and look at Calvary like this. Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. Some of us have gotten so caught up on the death and don't get me wrong, when I think about what he did and the nails that he took and, and the beating that he took and then how he gave his life, I often go back and I spend time at the death because without the death will be no life. But lest us not forget that he rose, people. He got up on the throne day and he had all power in his hand. And the first thing he said was the same power I had to rise up is the same power I give unto you. Paul says, yes, I want to know him and I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to go through the sufferings and I want to be crucified with him. But I also want to be made into the likeness of his death. But what good is just to die with him if I cannot rise with him? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to challenge you and I'm challenging you to go with me today to rise up with the power that God used to raise himself from the dead. What am I talking about? You be honest with yourself, and you ain't got to tell me, and you ain't got to tell the person next to you. There's something that you have been dealing with that's been taking over your life, that's been stressing you out. And I'm here to say, we ought to be on top of the world, and the world ought not be on top of us. If I serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he's told me I will be the lender and not the borrower. How is it that I stress every night over these finances? How is it that the finances are holding me back from doing what I believe he has called me to do? Has he not given us power over finances as well? If I serve a God that, that could raise the dead, then surely he can heal my sickness. 
I think sometimes we've forgotten the God that we serve. We serve a Messiah that somebody says, you know what? I might not get that close. And there's a whole lot of people here, but I give you one better. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be saved. I think we've forgotten that he's able and therefore we come in here and we don't expect him to do anything. And therefore he does not do anything. Most of the times Jesus healed somebody in the New Testament, what he said was, your faith has made you healed. Yes. Yes. Reverend Brown, where is the faith? Where is your faith? Are you able to look at God and say, I expect to walk out of here. And when I came in, I was in stronghold, but I'm going to walk out in liberty. Are you ready to come to a point where you can look at God and say, the doctor said that I may not walk again, but I'm leaving the walker at the altar and I'm strutting out of here because God said so. Are you at that point in your life where you really expect God to do a miracle? Sister Venus, I don't think we're there. I think that we have gotten too comfortable in just having an awesome service. And the service, Miss Terry, is no longer effective. We just want to go home and say, you know what, they really sung. We want to go home and say, you know what, we really had church. But when's the last time you went home and said, baby, I left it at the altar? When's the last time you went home and said, before I came to church, this thing was weighing heavy on my mind, but I got something to tell you. I saw Jesus today, and he set me free from that thing. When's the last time you came to church and said, them kids were really stressing me out, but I left them at the altar too, and God's going to have to take care of them because I'm at the end of my rope. When's the last time you left something here? He, he, he says in, in verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. God is angry for you. He, he didn't put you here so that Satan can take everything from you. He didn't put you here so that Satan can walk over you. You know, every now and then I say something and I go, you know what, that was a little profound. Good. Now hold on to it. And I was talking in VBS and I had a thought and I said, in the garden, God punishes Satan, and he makes him to be a serpent, and he curses him, and he takes away his legs, and he tells him that as a serpent, he has got to go around the earth and get around on his belly. It's a shameful thing. Notice that. He did this so that we would have the power to tread over serpents. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he steps on the serpent's head. We have that power. The picture of the church, however is we're laying down, trying to get around on our bellies, and serpents tread over us. I don't know about you, but that offends me. You don't even have no feet. How dare you walk over me? Some of y'all today ought to be at a point where you see the picture and you get fed up. Hold on, how is it? that I weigh 130 pounds or 200 pounds and, and, and this 16 pound serpent with no feet is walking all over my life. Have you forgotten that God has given you power to tread over serpents but the church is being treaded on by an animal that has no feet? I don't understand. There are three things I want you to get today and the first is if you be in Christ, he has called you to a life of freedom. 
If you be in Christ, he has called you to a life of freedom. How do I know that? Again, salvation has got to be more than me repeating the words. It has got to be me opening up and saying, Christ, you come into my life. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You cannot continue to come in here with that same mess. You cannot do it. You cannot continue to come in here, even whether it be that sickness, whether it be those bills, whether it be that stronghold, whatever it is, Christ is interested in setting you free. But how do I do it? I've been wrestling. I've been up all night and I've been praying and nothing is happening. What is it that I need to do? Last time I stood before you, it said, you got to let it go. You have to be willing to, to step back and loosen your grip on some things and have faith and say, God, you take control of it. Think about the situations. Think of what, what's relative to your life. You know, we have a lot of women who, who would rather be with the man that hits them, would rather be with the man that cusses them out, would rather be with the man that, that, that uses them, rather than be with no man at all. And, and you've been coming to church and you're complaining on your job and you're saying that, that, that things aren't working out and I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do and why isn't God fixing him? And maybe God's been saying, hello, let him go. Perhaps God's call to freedom in your life, the first step he's saying is, can you get comfortable with me first before I just fix the situation? You've been wrestling with lying. You've been wrestling with, with things on your job. You've been wrestling with your kids, but you're trying to push your agenda, and you're trying to make sure that the things that you want come to pass, but God says, hello, step back. It is no longer your life, but it is me living through you. So maybe when you let me fill out the job applications or you let me tell you where to go, then you will see prosperity in your workplace. Then you will see prosperity in your home. Then you will see prosperity on your job. Then you will see prosperity in your life. It is no longer me who lives, but it is he who lives through me. There are tons of things that I would like to do. There are things that I just want to do just because they feel good and, you know, it's for me. But I have to come to a place where I say, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It is not about what I desire, but I'm laying it down for him. But in return, people, there is an exchange. Look at what he says in verse 3. To point unto them that mourn in Zion. He says, I will give you the ashes. He said, I will give them beauty for ashes. I will give them the oil of joy for mourning. I will give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. He did not call you into this life to be defeated because that would not help him. People ought to look at Christians and notice a different walk, notice a higher degree of favor, and that is not going to glorify you. That's going to glorify him. But we as Christians have got to be willing to lay down our sorrow to pick up the joy. If, if your room is already, if your suitcase is already full, you can't afford to put more stuff in it. And he's not just going to give you another suitcase you can carry around the morning and carry around the joy. He wants you to enter out the suitcase you got, get rid of the morning and take the joy. 
Get rid of the mess and take the peace. You ought to have peace in your household. I think Medea said something's wrong when you can't go in your own house and have peace. There is, some of you are wrestling. You don't want to go home from church today because that man is sitting there or that woman is sitting there and you ain't got no peace. That's in the atmosphere too. You ought to take it home. He said, I will give you peace that passes all understanding. He said, I will give you joy, unspeakable joy. Am I saying that your life as a Christian is going to be a cakewalk? No. Reverend Smith preached here a long time ago, and he said something. He said, fellowship is nothing more than two fellas in a ship. That's how you get fellowship. It is not what you go through. It's who you go through it with. I don't mind the storms in my life because I've read the story of what Jesus can do. Can you imagine being out on a boat and you wake up? Where's Jesus? Jesus, what you doing? Walking on the water, Peter. Taking a stroll in the middle of the night, Peter. Jesus, you're on the water. Yay, feels nice. You want to come on out? And he gets out, and if he keeps his eyes on Jesus, then he too can tread over the water. But when I lose my sight on him is when I fall captive to the waves. Look at the story of Saul, somebody who he was greatly anointed. And and the Bible says that he had presence. You can just look at Saul and tell that there was something bad about him. There was something that God's presence was on his life. But if you look at the way his story ends, he's cut off at the knees. His his, um, armor is found in the temple of Dagon. His head is decapitated from his shoulders. How is it then that the great fall? Saul did not die at the hands of someone else's sword, ladies and gentlemen. I learned that Saul died at the hands of his own sword. He committed suicide the moment he stepped out of the presence of God. Some of you are scared. You're scared to take your ministry to the next level. You're scared to try to proclaim joy and peace in your life. You're scared to try to come up here to this altar and leave some things. But if you come up here and you grab hold of Jesus in the presence of him, those things will leave. You cannot be scared of what the enemy will do because you serve a God that is stronger than the enemy. That's the second point I want you to get. The devil is already defeated. He's already defeated, but he's ticked off, and so he's fighting a losing battle. But the unfortunate thing about it is God has given us power to defeat the enemy, but because he's so good at deception, he still defeats us. He still tramples over us, and he tells you, you can't be free. But but if I remain like Saul was in the beginning, The Philistines, they threw stones at Saul. They they attacked Saul. They wounded him, but they never were able to kill him. Ladies and gentlemen, people will talk about you. They don't think that you ought to be married to that man or that he should be your husband or that she should be your wife. They, They don't think that you should hold that position in office. They don't think that you should wear that color and they don't think that you should sit in that pew and they don't think that you should be able to come to this service and that you should participate in this concert. You don't belong in this ministry and you will never be any more than what you have already been. You will never go forward. People will talk about you, but their words, they may hurt you. They may even wound you, but they will not kill 
you because God has said greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The enemy is trying to tell you every lie, everything to hold you back. But if you would just grab hold to the power that he's already given you. When David was moving the Ark of the Covenant and it goes wrong and it ends up that David has got to leave the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house. The Bible says that for three months, Obed-Edom and his entire household was blessed. Why? Because a piece of furniture was in his room? No, because it represented the very presence of God. Amen. Took David three months. Would have took me three minutes to realize I don't want to live outside the presence of God. Amen. Stop letting other people sit up with your, your anointing. Don't let other people sit up with the blessing that is supposed to be yours. Some of you are being David right now, and he's giving you charge over the Ark of the Covenant. He's giving you charge over his presence, but you left it in somebody else's house, and they're being blessed. You ought to have an epiphany in this moment and go back and grab what is rightfully yours that you may reclaim the blessing that God has already given to you. That went over some of y'all heads, and I'm sorry. Trying to say, God has given you everything that you need. He's given you everything that you need. He says, my wish for you is that you will live life and live life more abundantly. He said, there will be things that you want, but he said, I will give unto you things that, that, that are exceedingly and abundantly of all that you have ever even imagined or thought to even ask of. What are you holding on to that you can let go? Possibly fear. Possibly because you don't really know the God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Possibly because you have not experienced joy that is unspeakable. Possibly because you don't know what it is to have peace that passes all understanding. That's where the altar call comes in. That's where what happens at church comes in. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they not hear without a preacher? So you come into the house, and if you don't know him, and it's the preacher's job to preach you unto salvation. But I also came to tell you that after you have been preached unto salvation, you have to be taught what you have. Now that I'm saved, I should have this mindset that says salvation belongs to God, therefore salvation is mine. When we sing that old devotional, victory is mine, joy is mine, peace. Today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Because peace, joy, love, salvation is mine. It's all wrapped up in this package of salvation. All because when I gave my life to him, I accepted and received him. We're almost done. I want to do something with you. Turn to Revelation. Book of Revelations, chapter 7.
We looked at this briefly about two weeks ago. I really believe that God is interested in doing something great with us. I believe that some of you, at least one person here, is starting to let something connect in your head and go that there really are some things in my life that I think I would rather do without. There is some mindset that I would like to be in. I would like to know what this joy that he's talking about feels like. I want to know what this peace feels like. What is it to be in control of your financial destiny? What is it to, to be able to speak to mountains and let them move, to be able to look at Satan in the face and say, get thee behind? What is it that gives you that authority? Book of Revelations, chapter 7, verse 9. John the Revelator says this, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God which sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these that which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? He said, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of a great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them or any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Pressing towards your expected end. What is my expected end? That is your expected end. Did you know that the the story, the end of the story is already written, but it's up to you to decide where you will fit. There are some things that you go through and some of you are sitting there thinking like, yeah, you're talking real nice and it sounds real good, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I go through. You don't know what I deal with every day. It's different for me. You know, I can't just get out of this relationship. I can't just let this go. My bills are too much and I can't just have financial prosperity over them. I've been dealing with this sickness in my body for for years and it's not just going to go away overnight because you say God says so. But I have to ask you the question with all due respect. Who do you think you are? 
There was a woman that for 18 years dealt with her infirmity, but because she had faith, she walked into the service and the Bible says that she had an instantaneous breakthrough. When Jesus looks at you and he speaks the words, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. It doesn't matter how long it was on you. It doesn't matter where it was. I don't care if it was cancer. I don't care if it was AIDS. If God says, woman, thou art loose. If God says, loose that man and set him free, then you have to be free because salvation belongs belongs to our God. If, if God can speak to Lazarus and tell him to come out of the tomb, what is it that he can't speak to you? If God can spit, if God can spit on a man's eyes and make him see, his spit was anointed, his spit was blessed, then what would happen if you let him spit on you? I guarantee some things would start to fall off and, and some things will ought to move out of your way. We've been preaching on some stuff and pastors been hitting some stuff and some of y'all get upset and you give yourself away, I have to tell you that. Um, you, know, you know, we talk about relationships that go wrong and you've been holding that man's hand and then you let him go. Give them a look. You give yourself away. We talk about the spirit of homosexuality and somebody just goes right to their phone and Facebook. You know, I'm just going to ignore this part of the service. And, and you give it away. Why? Because you don't think that God can change you. You know what my biggest problem is with people that are in strongholds? It's not the fact that you're in the stronghold. It's the fact that you really believe my God can't do it. How dare you tell me that the man who walked on waters, how dare you tell me that the man that, that spits on the blind and now they can see, that the man who can make a be a consuming fire and a bush but not let the fire consume the bush, this man can be with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and just hang out in the fiery furnace and keep them safe. He, on a Saturday afternoon, just has to just hang out with Daniel in the lion's den and, and doesn't allow the lion to hit um, Daniel. How is it that he can allow a whale to overtake a man but not allow the whale to eat him up just to prove a point? How dare you tell me, my God, what he can and cannot do in your life? If you won't receive the victory, if you won't receive your deliverance, it is not because my God is not able and I will not allow you to speak that thing because joy is in the atmosphere and peace is in the atmosphere and deliverance is in the atmosphere. Prosperity is in the atmosphere. Your healing is in the atmosphere, but it is up to you to reach up and grab it. Can you give us a little worship music? Can we experience just a little bit of worship? Uh, I mean, has anybody really been in this place of worship where you really believe that God is able to do? He's speaking to me right now, and somebody, you walked into this place, and it's hard, and I believe that it's hard, and you stay up late at night, and you wrestle with this thing, you've been fighting with this thing, but I really want you to believe that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly of all that you may ask our feet. It's been weighing hard on you, but lift up your hands and say salvation. It belongs to me. Salvation. It belongs to our God. 
and stealing. God said that you have the power to let that thing go and let it go right now. Whatever you're wrestling with, bring it up to the altar and let it go. Let it go. Let it go. you say, 